Well, good morning, Christ Bible Church. Morning. Grateful to be with you here. Happy New Year's Eve. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. If you're new or you're visiting with us, I just want to extend another welcome. Thank you for joining us as we gather to worship our Lord and Savior. We'd love to get to know you after the service. Feel free to come introduce yourselves to one of us, or there's connect cards in the hallway. Uh, If you'd rather go that route, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, Just a quick note that next week we will be returning to our sermon series in 2 Timothy. So this will be our last week in the Christmas season, Advent series, and then we'll return to our regular rhythm. Uh, But to conclude our time today, I'd like to point us to turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 1, which will be our text for the morning, and invite you to turn there in your Bibles now and follow along as I read. If you don't own a Bible, it would be our joy to offer you one. Uh, We are Christ Bible Church. We believe the Bible is central to what we do because it is uh, through God's word that he reveals himself to us and shows us uh, how to properly worship him. And so please feel free. If you do have a Bible and you don't know where Proverbs is, uh, trust your handy-dandy table of contents in the front. It won't steer you wrong. Uh, Let's read Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. God's word says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb in a saying, the words of the wise in their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. Father, we praise you that you are a God who calls us from death to life, life eternal with you, and life together as a church, life together gathered to sing our praises to you, to worship you, to hear your word. Lord, we praise you uh, that you are a wise God who moves in the world. Lord, we praise you that in your wisdom, even the best sermon in its own power is uh, but the sounds of of a babbling baby in your infinite wisdom. And in your wisdom, you will preach. Uh, I just pray that you preach a, a sermon greater than anyone could ever prepare. Lord, may you pierce the hearts of those who don't know you today. Appoint people to the the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for those who do know you, Lord, may you be convicting hearts and encouraging souls to to walk each and every day in wisdom to point and glorify you. Bless this time together. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's December 31st. So the obligatory question I will ask you is, do you have New Year's resolutions this year? A lot of people said no. This sermon introduction is not for you. Uh, (laughs) Buckle up. Uh, No, no. Uh, Well, I know it's a cliche sermon intro, but, you know, classics are the classics for a reason, so we're sticking with it. One thing that I think is interesting about a New Year's resolution, some people in second service definitely disagree, uh, is that no matter, it, it seems as though no matter your political tribe, your social status, you know, your political affiliation, the idea of a New Year's resolution seems to be a positive thing. You don't make a New Year's resolution and then somebody looks at it and hates you for making it. Who would ever participate in such a thing? And similarly, 
hopefully nobody makes a New Year's resolution that is bad or that is wicked. Nobody, Nobody has a New Year's resolution to spend less time with their kids or to steal more or to be meaner to their wife this year in 2024 is the year. There's something inside of us given to us by God that understands that pursuing good decisions, pursuing good living, wise living, turning from the foolish habits we've created and chasing pursuing good habits, pursuing wisdom, is a good and right thing. And so I hope it's fitting for us uh, to end the year and look to the new year by going to the book of Proverbs as we turn the corner into the new year with all of our resolutions because Proverbs is a book written to God's people for the purpose of teaching us how to live wisely, how to pursue wisdom each and every day. It's a book for teaching God's people wrong from right and from teaching us folly from wisdom. <clears throat> Specifically, today, the introduction to this book shows us two things. It shows us the source of wisdom and it shows us the pursuit of wisdom. So if you're a note taker, the source of wisdom and the pursuit of wisdom in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. Well, as we uh, begin by considering the source of wisdom, we should consider the source of the book of Proverbs. We look to verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So Solomon introduces the Proverbs in the same way. Uh, Much of scripture is introduced. What is being written? The Proverbs. If you're unfamiliar with what a proverb is in a biblical context, it's just a short sentence, and in this case, a collection of sentences uh, that teach us a general truth or a situational truth about how to live well for the glory of God. And these are written by Solomon. In in such a simple introduction, though, a lot is actually being said. Because in writing the Proverbs, in offering them to us in God's wisdom and in his word, Solomon is saying that he has wisdom and that God's people should listen to him so that they may flourish and have a prosperous life. So foundational to the idea of wisdom as we're considering it is that there is a source of wisdom. It comes from somewhere. And that source is actually not yourself. We live in in a very Disney era that says otherwise. Be true to yourself. You do you. Live your truth. You hear questions all the time or statements like, how can somebody tell me how to live my life? Does does Solomon know me? Does he know my experiences, my trauma, the battle I've had to live through? How can he tell me what's wise? How can he tell me how to live? How does he even know what right and wrong are? How can he be sure? That's what you'll hear in our world. We hear that each and every day in our offices, at school, at work. But Solomon is saying the exact opposite. Here is wisdom. I have it for you. It's important. I've written it down so you may read it. And he goes even further as he ties his wisdom to his authority as king. He reminds people that he is in a position to be the source of wisdom to his people because he is the son of David, the king of Israel to his people. So if we think back to our sermon series on 1 Kings back in July, uh, why does Solomon ask for wisdom? We know that God grants him wisdom, but Solomon asks for it so that he may be a good king for Israel, so that he may rule wisely, rightly, righteously. 
We see this all throughout the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. As the king goes, so go the people. There's an inseparable tie between the wisdom of the king, the pursuit of wisdom in the king, and the, and the fate of the people, the fate of the kingdom. And as uncomfortable as that might make us, it's also true of us. As our kings go, where your king tells you to go is where you're going to go. Which is, of course, the tension. Because we know that our kings get us into a lot of trouble. We get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And as we saw and considered Solomon's life, we saw that even the wisest man on earth in Solomon was destined to turn to folly. Solomon knows that a wise king makes a prosperous kingdom. And the kingdom did prosper. If you'll remember, as we were preaching through that, it felt like the most common word in 1 Kings was gold. It was everywhere. They were a flourishing society. But if Solomon is the source of wisdom, then we see trouble. Because we see that Solomon turns to sin and despair and Israel withers. He speaks with wisdom in Proverbs as the, with the authority of the king, the source of wisdom for his people, uh, but he eventually forgets who the real king is, who the real source of all wisdom, his wisdom is, the Lord, whom he acknowledges in verse 7 here. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is the ultimate source of wisdom for us? The Lord. Proverbs 7 says, or 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we consider what it means to be wise, to pursue wisdom, it's not defined primarily by having every single answer. It's not defined by the school of hard knocks. You've seen a thing or two on the street or the Ivy League halls. You've read every book there is to read. It's not born out of trial and error or good religious ritual. You've come to church enough and you say the right words in your prayer. No, the beginning of wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. And so the obvious question for us becomes, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, to help us answer that, uh, consider this quote from little-known children's author C.S. Lewis. Uh, in God, quote, In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So Proverbs 1.7 says for us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the ability to look up. To look up and see a God so great, so powerful, so big, that you have no choice but to accept how small you actually are. To look up and see above you that there is a perfect and holy God and to respond with worship and reverence for him. 
Because look at how the fool responds. The end of verse 7. How does a fool feel about wisdom? The fool hates it. The fool despises it. It doesn't say that the fool doesn't have it. It doesn't say that the fool's never heard wisdom or the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say that it goes in one ear, out the other. It says that the fool hates it. The fool can't stand to be corrected, to be taught, to fear the Lord, because the fool cannot stand to look up and see that the Lord is already on the throne. The fool can't stand to hear what is true, that they are not the king. And scripture is clear for each one of us. We are that fool. We are perpetually looking down because that's where sin calls us. That's where we want to look. And as we look down at our own kingdom, at the throne we want for ourselves, it drags us slowly but surely sin and death. Naturally, we are not people who want to look up. Even those who are considered wise by any worldly, by any worldly metric are not going to look up. Uh, while I was uh, prepping for the sermon, I found a quote from Aristotle, I think generally considered wise, worldly standards. He says, knowing yourself is the beginning of wisdom. He, he's missed it, right? We don't want to look up and worship and have reverence, fear for the Lord. We want to look into ourselves in our own kingdom and look down on others, elevating ourselves. But in God's perfect kindness, his grace and mercy, he does not stay above us. As he sees and loves people who will not look up to him, he sends his son down. And Christ condescending down to walk among us shows us the ultimate and true source of all wisdom in the world. It's not an it, it's not a what, it's a him. It's Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians 1, as one example in the New Testament, that God's word says, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All that can be done to lift your eyes up has already been done. Not by you, you're looking down, but by Christ, who paid the price for the folly of this world. Wisdom himself, wisdom incarnate, the word made flesh, dwelling among us, dying for the fool, dying for you, so that you may have redemption. You may have eternal life. You may have wisdom because you may have Christ. And it is only when we see that that we can begin uh, to understand what it means to pursue wisdom to live wisely. Simply put, in Proverbs 1-7, if you don't have God, you don't have wisdom. If you have no God, you have no wisdom. And so as we consider the new year, I'm a big New Year's resolutions guy. I think it's a blessing that there's a season after Christmas where it's just one the next day, but it's also a day where we think about the whole year. How can we change? How can we grow? We can consider what it means Uh, to reset, to transition, to pivot to new rhythms, new choices, new friends, new hobbies, new habits. But none of that new 
matters if you don't have new life in Christ. If you don't have a new heart, a renewed mind, if you're not living in a new kingdom found in the gracious gift of Christ, because in, in Christ you have the fullness of wisdom as your great and perfect wise king. And as we've seen in Solomon, as the king goes, so go his people. We have that source of wisdom, the true and perfect king. And only then, when we see that, when we know that, when we look up and praise him for who he is, can we uh, begin to pursue wisdom. So let me plead for a moment to those of you here who have spent your whole life looking down, who don't know Christ. There is no other beginning. There is no other wisdom out there for you. There is no joy in the world to be found. There is no cure for your sin to be found outside of the work of Christ. The wisest thing you could do today is look up. Look up and recognize and see the Lord who loves you, the Lord who's bigger than you, greater than you, loves you more than you could ever imagine and died for you. Accept the gift of salvation that Christ has offered you today. There's no reason to even wait until 2024 to do that. And Christian, if you remember, uh, if you've been here and you remember the kingdom during Solomon's reign, you'll remember that the entire world flocked to hear his wisdom. That everyone in the kingdom came bringing gifts. They were desperate, hungry to hear the words roll off of his tongue. They wanted his wisdom so bad. How much more should that be true of us that we have the perfect and eternal wise king in Christ? How much more should we be desperate, should we be hungry to come before him and hear the words that he has for us? How many times in 2023 were you hungry for the wisdom of God? To live for Christ. How can your life be marked with that hunger in 2024? My prayer for us is that next year is a year where CBC, we are hungry each and every day to turn to the true and eternal source of wisdom, the king in our heavenly kingdom, King Jesus. And with King Jesus in our sights, we can pursue wise living. We can pursue wisdom each and every day which is what verses 2 through 6 show us. Solomon writes these Proverbs hoping that the people in his kingdom will read them and they'll pursue wisdom. And we see that in verses 2 through 6 of this introduction. God's word says that, God's word says that these are written to know wisdom and instruction. So Solomon wrote these for you to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear 
and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise in their riddles. Wisdom from the king given so that the kingdom may flourish. Solomon, and more importantly, God, uh, wants his people to know wisdom, to understand instruction, to understand words of insight. And these statements, they don't point to the Christian's ability to pass a standardized test. Just to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong from a biblical standpoint. No, the pursuit, Solomon, the pursuit that the word has in mind for us is experiential. Not experiential outside of what the word of God has, but experiencing what the word of God says. To know wisdom isn't to understand the category of wisdom. It produces righteousness and justice. It doesn't produce the concept of understanding what it means to be righteous. It produces righteousness. Proverbs want to impart for you and for I what is right and wrong alongside with, alongside of what it means to have a life of pursuit of those things. To live chasing that wisdom in your life each and every day. And if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, this is an Achilles heel of so much of our spiritual lives. We know the right way. We know the biblical answer, but we lack the wisdom to accomplish it. We lack maybe the desire, the practical know-how, the ability to pursue, to live the right way. One way to consider it is, is who knows what the ocean is really like? The one who's seen the postcard? The one who listens to the ocean sounds on their sound machine as they try to go to sleep every night? or the one who's swimming in the ocean. The hope of the Proverbs is that we are people who are covered by the waves. We're swimming, we're covered by the water. We experience what it means to be living the life of wisdom for the glory of God. To live the way God has called us to. And so men, as a husband, where do you feel like you're simply listening to the ocean sounds? You, you know what a good husband looks like, sounds like, what the Bible says a good husband should do and be, but you just can't help but get so angry. Or you can't help, you find your eyes following that woman, finding her on the computer screen. You know what the Bible says you should be. But you also know you're not that. Or when we consider our spiritual lives, we know we're meant to be people who read our Bibles. But we don't know how to actually open it up and read it. And so we walk away. We don't know what it means to actually be a person who reads their Bible. We understand that Christians are called to confess, that I'm called to confess, that you are called to confess your sin. But you only understand that conceptually because you don't know what it means to confess. The words have never come out of your mouth while you look someone else in the eye. 
do you know what confession is? It's worth noting in verse 4 that Solomon, in his introduction, uh, says he wants to write these Proverbs to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Solomon goes out of his way to highlight the necessity of instilling wisdom even in the young, even in the youth. If you've been at Christ Bible Church for any length of time, you've heard the words family worship, family devotions, family discipleship. You've heard in whatever ministry you're in, you're in an exhortation to lead your family well and point them to Jesus. Have those terms just become another thing you know you should do? I didn't go up in a religious context. I, have, I had no idea what it meant to, to lead a family devotion. My family worshipped a lot of things, and none of them were the Lord. It was mostly the Detroit Lions. Uh, yeah, it's, my family's grieving. Uh, <clears throat> do you know family worship, or do you know family worship? When you hear that term, is it an idea that comes to your mind or is it a picture of your family and you think, oh, that, that one particular family devotion was so sweet. If you have no memory of it, that's a good clue. But that's what Proverbs is here to teach us. This is the goal of Proverbs, not just to know wisdom, but to know wisdom, to live wisdom. He says to his, Solomon says to his kingdom, hear these Proverbs, take their wisdom, and live. And God says in his words, take this word, take this wisdom, and live. And he says, see this wisdom, see the wisdom of God, the word made flesh, Christ. See him, take his wisdom, and have eternal life. Um, well, now, the, the critical listener up to this point may have noticed something about the sermon or more appropriately maybe noticed it about this passage of Proverbs because we see, we see in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 uh, that it's showing us the ultimate kingly, authoritative, eternal source of wisdom, Christ himself, that the beginning of wisdom is looking up to him, worshiping him. And we've also seen that uh, knowing that we can now look at the wisdom of God's word as expressed as, as something that's meant to teach us right, godly living for the glory of our king. And I hope in showing us all of that, it's reoriented us well turning into 2024. That we may be able to consider the other sources of wisdom we're often turning to or the areas of life that we know we need wisdom. But this passage hasn't, uh, and therefore I have tried not to, actually give us any wise, practical advice in our, any specific area of life. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yes, I do need wisdom as a husband. I do need wisdom as a Bible reader, as a person trying to lead my family. And then I moved on and continued to not give you any. Well, when we see, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 does give us is the lens through which all wise living, all right living, must be seen. Knowing the fear of the Lord, looking up to Christ, is the only way to find wisdom because he is wisdom. 
And when we see that true wisdom in the work of the king to save us from our sin, we begin to understand the pursuit of that wisdom means pursuing a life that matches our identity as a citizen in that heavenly kingdom. And only when we're looking through that eternal lens, that eternal perspective, does the the wisdom, the path of Proverbs, the path of God's word, the path of the Christian life, uh, can it begin to be walked? Starting in verse 8, all the way through chapter 31, where instruction for wise living is found on every single page. And so my closing exhortation for those here who want to seek wisdom from God in 2024, who want to live a wise life, who want to point to the righteous, eternal, wise king in the way that they live. Read the Proverbs this January. There's 31 of them, and there's 31 days. It's working perfectly so far. Read them. Read one a day. Read them at the dinner table, and if your kids are old enough, have them pull out a piece of paper and write down the wisdom that they hear as you're reading it. As you're reading it, make a list. These are all the Proverbs about how a husband should live, about how a wife should live. And add to it every day as you read. And then look at it before you go to bed. Actually think about it. Are you these things? God, help me become these things for your glory. If you're very bold, ask your spouse am I these things? And just be ready for the real feedback. Go to your community group and say, this is what I found in the Proverbs this week. How can I be more like these things? How can I be more like this? And above all else, when you read the Proverbs, when you read God's word, look up to Christ. Praise him for being the perfect, wise king in your life yesterday, today, next year, every year, and for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. Father, we praise you that you have sent your son to die for us. Lord, that in your wisdom you have redeemed for yourself a people and that you've revealed yourself to us so that we may worship you and bring you glory. Lord, we pray for 2024. Lord, may you bless this church. May you help us to walk in wisdom with you for the sake of your kingdom. May the world notice the way that we are pursuing you, looking up to you each and every day while we're at work, while we're at school. May our kids notice while we're in the home. Father, we pray that you bless our time. We thank you for your word, your wisdom given to us, and your son given for us. We pray all that in Christ's name. Amen.